Welcome to part two of a series we're doing for the National Association for Urban Debate Leagues and Newsweek's The Debate. I'm Andrew Tallman, and this is all leading up to a really a get-together that we're going to be doing in New York City a little bit later on. Very fun stuff. Of course, we did one last week, and now we have another opportunity to do this. We're partnering with the National Association for Urban Debate Leagues to bring you the voices, the thoughts, the opinions of students from across the country who will join us here on the debate podcast, and then again at the headquarters for Newsweek in weeks to come. And they're going to be creating a podcast of their own. Today, we're joined by two students from the Washington, D.C. chapter of the National Association for Urban Debate, Haven and Noemi. Haven and Noemi, welcome to the debate. Thank you so much. We're excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. Great to have you guys. Joining us also, we have from Newsweek, our chief content officer, Diane Kandapa. Diane, welcome to the debate. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So you've been involved in this. Uh, tell us from Newsweek's perspective, how did this all get going? How did our partnership with the National Association for Urban Debate Leagues take place? And what are we trying to do here? Well, let me give credit to the where it's due. Uh, this began because both the National Association of Urban Debate Leagues and Newsweek have a friend in common. Uh, his name is Tom Rogers. He's quite a famous media personality. And he decided to make an introduction to the two sides. Now, what are we trying to do here? Uh, first of all, uh, let's talk briefly about Newsweek because it's the less important partner in this exercise, right? Newsweek is thoroughly committed uh, to the idea that debate is something that keeps a society civil, right? We firmly believe that one of the things that makes us human is our ability to stand across from somebody we disagree with, our opponent, and try to persuade them to change their minds instead of fighting with them or running away, right? And we also believe that as a result of all the things that are going on in the world today, social media, toxic politics, all of that sort of stuff, we're beginning to lose a little bit of the thing that makes us human. Now, enter the National Association of Urban Debate Leagues and the wonderfully talented uh, young people uh, that it works with, right? Uh, here we have debate alive and well, right? a torch of debate being passed on uh, to some of the most talented and deserving Americans around, right? And so we went to our friends and our colleagues at the National Association of Urban Debate Leagues and said, hey, can we help? Can we be a partner with you? Can we give these uh, wonderfully talented young people an opportunity? They're already going to shine. We know that. But can we turn a little bit of Newsweek spotlight into them and help the world see who they are. That's what this event is about. That's what these conversations are about. And that's what, um, that's what this partnership is all about. It's about them. And we're awesome. really privileged to be part of it. No, I, I love that. And, you know, debate is one of those things where anybody can debate and everybody should debate. <laughs> I mean, it is, as you said, it is a great expression of humanity and uh, my favorite part of debate uh, is the idea that you are required, you're obliged in order to win a debate. You have to be able to take sides you disagree with personally, vehemently, and articulate them better if you can, even than the people who believe in them. That's a skill that we all really need. Diane, did you ever do um, debate when you were younger? Yes, it was a long time ago when dinosaurs did roam the earth at the time. <laughs> uh, it was also very uh, far away from here. I grew up in Sri Lanka. Uh, but yes, we did do debate, uh, and it was it was quite it was quite the experience. Um, that was also uh, a divided society, 
Uh, it was a war-torn country. There was a civil war going on. Uh, people were actually killing each other because of their differences in very large numbers for a small place like that. Um, and the, the commitment that teachers and school principals and other mentors had to keeping at least some portion of civil discourse in a country that was at civil war, civil, is something that I'll never forget. And I see that happening. You know, thank God we do not have anything resembling that kind of strife here, right? And we will never get there in America. That is our prayer. As a new American, that is what I hope, right? But I really appreciate the commitment of people who are mentors, principals, debate coaches, and others who are putting the effort into, you know, what is relatively a thankless task, right? <laughs> to try to keep... Uh, the conversation going by mentoring extraordinarily talented pe young people uh, to help them kind of keep our civil discourse civil. I've said that three times because I really do believe it. It's clearly core value for you. I appreciate that. Wow, what a vivid example of what that must have been like. Well, let's go ahead and bring the students in here and uh, get to know them a little bit. We've got two with us tonight. We've got Haven and uh, we've got Noemi. And uh, Haven is going to be debating the negative side, uh, arguing against the proposition or the resolution. And Noemi is going to be arguing for the proposition or the resolution. It's going to be affirmative action is our topic tonight. Uh, Noemi, what got you started in debate? Hi. So first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I started debate actually in, I believe it was seventh grade, just because my school had it as a club. And I absolutely loved it. The type of debate that I did then is different than the type I do now. Um, but I was learning new topics every month. And it was just a way to learn more, learn about things that I didn't learn about in school, um, and really get to see the two sides of every argument. And I think that I apply that in my life all the time now, like every time that I see some sort of argument, I think about, okay, well, what is the other person on the other side of this thinking? And why are they thinking that? And like that contributes to how I see different arguments and um, how I take sides when I, when I choose my opinions. How about you, Haven? What got you involved in debate in the beginning and how long you've been doing it? Yeah. First, uh, thanks for having me. A uh, second, I've been doing debate for like uh i would say longer than others since like middle school like seventh grade i'm a junior now and the thing that got me started was it was just i wanted to do something after school because my uh, middle school didn't have like a lot of extracurricular uh, opportunities and so i was looking for like something that could like help me or like help me in the future can like be fun and i'll enjoy it and then i came across this debate flyer and i was like i've never heard or did that before so i went to this interest meeting and i was like it seems like fun and then that's how it, and then i went from there basically have you ever come across um a situation where you did have to argue against something that you personally believe in and try to be persuasive against your own viewpoint has that come up yet for you yeah it happens a lot it really depends on the topic but it's it's common because it's yeah it's debate so you have to be able to adapt to those type of situations did you was that a learning process for you at the time it is a learning process because it makes you it makes you like think about like what is really going on like what is the pros of every like situation and if you don't like really think about it it forces you to think more about like actions that we take. 
How about you, Noemi? Have you uh, ever found yourself, has it ever been frustrating where you were forced to articulate a viewpoint that you really did not agree with personally? So I definitely have had to argue a viewpoint that I don't agree with. Um, but I find that most of the end up like writing my speeches for those viewpoints. I actually end up convincing myself that there is a way that they're okay, you know, because I never have to argue that like racism is good or climate change isn't happening because whenever you're arguing against someone who's, for example, saying that climate change is happening, there are ways that you can go around that without completely opposing them. So I find that I actually tend to convince myself of the argu- other arguments rather than just have to argue an argument that I don't agree with. Like almost you take it on as a, uh, as an acting performance almost. Yeah. Like yeah, exactly. And I'm always fascinated how it applies in your regular life. Do you find in- interactions with parents, siblings, friends, teachers changed because of the experience of debate? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, like I said, like you have to see the other viewpoint. And so in the same way that I convince myself of the other viewpoints that I have to argue, I like, and when you're in the heat of an argument, that's not the first instinct. I'll give you that. But um, after you cool down and you really start to think about the situation, I find that debate has made it easier for me to see the other person's perspective. And that makes it easier to come to an agreement um, and really like work together with it. How's your batting average with your with your parents? Has it gone up? Are you <laughs> do you win Definitely, at all more yeah. often with them? <laughs> no, they were a little scared that I took on debate because they were like, oh boy, teenage years are gonna be so much worse. <laughs> be careful what you wish for your kids. Yeah. Uh, how, about, how about you, Haven? Have you uh found that it changes the way you engage with people outside of debate and the way you talk about things with them or the way you you know argue with people? Yeah, definitely. Because like usually, uh, when people argue, they have they'll like usually have more emotion than logic. But debate has taught me to like cool down and like think about like what you're really saying. So instead of getting caught up in the heat of the argument, you'll actually like. I I'm a logical person, so I use like a lot of logic in my arguments. I don't use like uh as much emotion as like your average heated argument like you'll find in like a classroom or like between like parents but it kind of like yeah it teaches you to do that and that's cool about the baby one of the things that i found and i'm curious if you guys had the same experience it was interesting listening to diane talk about when he was a kid and uh, you know civil war going on outside and one of the things i find is when i have a viewpoint that i hold very very strongly I can't be quite as dogmatic as I would have been if I hadn't learned how to debate because learning how to debate forced me to always hold everything with a little bit more tentativity. And so, um, it, which makes it easier sort of not to really scald the other side to really not hate them just to say, I disagree with you. Here's why you're wrong, which is very different from having contempt for their point of view. And it's almost like everybody becomes a part of the discussion space just because you learn how to take every viewpoint seriously. Noemi, uh, you're shaking your head about that. Is that, uh, have you experienced that yourself? Yeah, definitely. I think I'm a lot more open-minded. And when people with opposing viewpoints come at me with their arguments, instead, like, I've seen a lot of people just be like, no, I disagree. And then like, period, that's the end of the, of the discussion. Whereas with me, I think that thanks to debate, 
instead of just being like, no, I disagree, I actually think critically about their argument. And I'm like, okay, why are they making this argument? Why is it wrong? And I try to engage in a conversation with them about it. And sometimes it doesn't work because they're that person who just disagree. But a lot of the time it actually leads to um, a, a great conversation and a great debate. And either I make friends or I change their opinion or both of our opinions don't change, but at least we've learned something from each other. Right. Absolutely. Haven, how about you? Have you experienced that, that it kind of chips away at that dogmatic tendency and also helps your ability to, you know, just kind of be with other people you disagree with and not have to fight with them quite as vividly? Yeah, it happens. It happens a lot. It's like as you go more and more debate or like as you go more and more, you learn more, you start to use your critical thinking skills that you gain, start to use like organization because debate has it requires a lot of organization or it's like hard to keep up and you can really use organization outside of any any debate space really so like it's just like a lot of benefits to like debate law I'm, i also assume it's it spills over into writing papers for school um probably makes you more willing to engage in other things i don't know what you guys do you know i did drama and some forensics and kind of you start to get used to talking and you want to do it in a variety of ways. No, Amy, has that been your experience too? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm really interested in mental health. That's like my thing. And so um, I think that debate has helped me be more um, like more literate. First of all, I actually understand like what I'm reading, what I'm researching things about mental health. And also I can express myself better. And so when I talk to people about mental health, they actually understand what I'm saying. Um, and I think like, again, debate has really helped with that. Just putting my yeah. my thoughts into words. Yeah, there's something about that. Uh, you know, sometimes the frustration that drives people to, into sort of polarized viewpoints is their inability to effectively articulate their point. And they get frustrated, not just with somebody disagreeing, but they get frustrated with themselves for not being able to say it better. Hey, even have you seen some of that stuff? Yeah, like outside of the debate, there's there's like this college course that I'm taking for the semester. And we do like, it's like really research based so i have to take the research skills that i've learned or like how to write something better because in debate we do this thing where we like research something and we uh kind of like read we like un highlight it and do all the stuff about it so we can understand more about it and using that when it comes to like essays or um just papers overall that you have to write about on different classes it's really helpful when you learn how to kind of like do research really fast in order to understand the point of view that you're trying to um write about basically absolutely for people who are listening to this for the first time didn't listen to last week's this is a shortened version of the normal time frames for the policy debate that these two would engage in they're going to give a series of speeches and those speeches are designed to fight back and forth with each other and ask questions of each other and then respond to the ideas that the other side gives. And typically there's a judge who evaluates who did the better job of debating and awards a win. Uh, we're not going to have that tonight, but they're kind of been working on this case. It's a relatively new one that they're preparing for New York. So I'm excited to hear it. Um, before we get going, uh, Noemi, what is the proposition? What is the actual proposition that you're arguing? The proposition is that we should continue affirmative action, um, specifically in colleges. Very good. So she's going to be arguing for that. Haven is going to be arguing against that. And uh, we'll just let you guys take it away whenever you're ready. Noemi with the first affirmative constructive. 
So affirmative action has been in effect in the United States for over 50 years and was upheld by the Supreme Court in the University of California versus Bakke ruling, decided in 1978. Now that 45-year-old ruling is being challenged by two Supreme Court cases set to be decided in June. The immediate question is, is whether the Supreme Court should overrule a 2003 case that reiterated that race may play a limited role in college admissions. So first, let's define affirmative action. Oxford says that it's the practice or policy of favoring individuals belonging to groups regarded as disadvantaged or subject to discrimination. And it's also known as positive discrimination. Typically, it has been used in college admissions to award additional points to racial minorities, especially to African-American students. I'm here to explain why this is an imperative policy to protect diversity in higher education and to address racism as a whole. First of all, affirmative action allows universities to take into account the obstacles that students face in their childhood due to their race. This includes the impacts of historical discrimination, such as lower income, living in neighborhoods with more crime and drug use, and difficulty with access to proper food and health care, just to name a few. It could also include the results of present-day discrimination, which can range from bullying and harassment to being turned down from professional opportunities due to racist biases. Affirmative action is the best way we found to quote-unquote cancel out the racism that racial minorities may experience in their childhood, which prevents them from having as many opportunities as their white counterparts. Second of all, it helps start to break the cycle of racism as a whole in American society. Of course, it's only one step, and we still have to take many other actions in order to solve the causes and impacts of race, but this is a good step in the right direction. Affirmative action allows more racial minorities, especially African Americans, to achieve higher education. This, in turn, allows them to get better jobs and into more positions of power, including important places in politics. Not only does this allow for more racially conscious policies and systems, but it also empowers the next generation of Black students to act. Continuing affirmative action is a step that we can take right now to start breaking the cycle of oppression and racism in America. Lastly, we've been talking a lot about how affirmative action positively impacts African-American youth, but we've neglected to talk about the rest of the population. The truth is that making diversity commonplace in higher education and jobs benefits everybody. Sure, it'll put white students at a superficial disadvantage for college admissions, but that's the price to pay for an overall better society. A UChicago article explains that students learn more in diverse groups and employees are more productive. Diversity in experience, culture, and thought is all conducive to better collaboration and problem solving, which are imperative aspects of any good society. Not to mention that a lack of workplace diversity promotes behaviors such as Black people, quote-unquote, whitening their resume, as one Times article states. This reinforces the completely incorrect idea that Black people should have to act white or tone down their Blackness in order to be employable. The very, the very idea of needing to, quote-unquote, whiten one's experiences is toxic, yet that pressure would increase in a world without affirmative action. Continuing affirmative action, while imperfect, it is our best hope to combat the idea that ideal candidates are white. Affirmative action was put in place to start breaking the cycle of racism. It succeeded in part, and the work is far from over, so we should continue it. Thank you. Now, Haven's going to do a cross-examination for a minute. Go ahead, Haven. Okay, so first I would like to ask, what, is, what would you say to people who are against affirmative action? So, like, when they don't, when they don't want affirmative action because they feel like they're at a disadvantage because of like the color skin so like someone who is like asian who wants to um who's trying to apply to a college versus someone who's black uh some people feel like black people would have the higher advantage so like what would you say to those people who are against affirmative action in that regard 
Yeah. So there are two things that I would say to that. Um, the first is that although it is like technically an advantage that they're putting into the admission system, it's meant to counteract the disadvantage that they have inherently by being black because they have less opportunities um, to, to show, like, for example, in their activities, in their essays, um, like in supports through schools, things like that. Black people tend to have less supports through those. And so um, affirmative action is meant to counterbalance that. So although it seems like an advantage, oftentimes it's more of just evening out this, the balance. Um, and then the second thing I would say is that even if it is, even if it does create a disadvantage for white people or Asian students, um, that is still necessary in order to create a better society. And so like I, as a white person, would accept that disadvantage because I know that it makes our society better. I noticed that like we could all like we could both agree that uh affirmative action is like it's not it's not perfect, it's imperfect. Like yeah. what would you what do you think like a better version of affirmative action will look like? Well that's the thing is I don't think that there is like a realistic better solution. I think that this is the best solution and that's why I'm arguing for it. Affirmative action is meant to solve the problem of racism or at least take a step towards solving it. And I think that this is the best way that we can do that um, specifically within college admissions. Thank you. All right, Haven, whenever you're ready, go ahead with the uh, first negative constructive speech. Okay, first, affirmative action has been very helpful in college admission and Sure, it has a lot of benefits. The main reason why affirmative action became a thing in the first place was because of minorities being underrepresented in major colleges and not having an equal opportunity for admissions into the college that they want to go to. But the solution to this problem is wrong. While the idea is correct, the way that it's being handled is wrong. Affirmative action only considers race and not the diverse backgrounds behind the race of that applicant. So AA, affirmative action for short, would also be considered as a versus solution to a racist problem. As the current cases in front of the United States Supreme Court argue, it would prefer someone that is African-American over someone who is Asian-American only because that university needs more diverse, more diversity and more representation of that specific race. That itself become a, becomes a discriminatory uh, solution because no longer about diversity, but instead views people by the color of their skin. Instead, we show some aspects of, of affirmative action so that minorities are no longer underrepresented and all people have an equal opportunity for education. The goal of affirmative action was equality, but instead it's doing the opposite of its goal. If we keep just some aspects of affirmative action and not the entire thing, then we can help the underrepresented minorities and improve it. And that becomes a better solution. Things like financial aid, Employee and management development and employee support programs should all stay. One of the questions asked is if affirmative action is removed, how would financial aid look? Many are sure about whether affirmative action is good or not, but making a compromise in the middle would not only satisfy the students, but people would have an equal chance when it comes to admissions. Some aspects like target recruitment isn't the best way for trying to increase diversity for two reasons. One, two people who have the same resume would pick the color of skin they prefer and that reverses the goal of affirmative action. Two, it also sounds racist. One definition of racism is the belief that groups of human possess different behavioral traits corresponding to inherited attributes and can be divided based on superiority of one race over another. And target recruitment fits that definition. It shows like this 
this isn't the best way that we're going about uh, these issues. And for these reasons, argue we should eliminate the interest quotas and diversity magnifiers that exist in the current affirmative action policies while maintaining some of the support programs for students after they are admitted and employees after they are hired. This will help with discrimination while eliminating some of the biggest objections to affirmative action, the current lawsuits rise. And thank you. Great. Now, Noemi with uh, cross-examination. In a world without affirmative action, how would you ensure racial diversity in higher education? So when it comes to like racial like racial discrimination and inequality, there is um the way I think the way we're going about it is wrong. Like we should still have like some things like financial aid. Financial aid is like really big when it comes to people who don't aren't like they aren't rich. They came up with a different background that's like big. That's part it should stay. Like the help that um they are receiving should stay, but there are some like parts of that help is doing more harm than good. And so I think that uh, if we keep only some parts, then we could do the job that we are basically achieve the goal that it was meant for. Okay. And can you explain how affirmative action implies that one race is superior to another? Like, can you explain how you believe that it's racist? So, uh, tar- like, targeted recruitment basically is like we should get this specific black person, like, to help with, um, to help with like employment inequality, but that itself doesn't help everyone. It doesn't help everyone. It just targets one race. And so it's putting those specific, it puts that specific targeted race higher than others. If those, if that same, if that same person, but a different race tries to get that same job, then it's likely that the black person would get it over someone who is um, a different color or a different person of color. All right. Whenever you're ready to go, Noemi, with your first affirmative rebuttal. So affirmative action is absolutely necessary. Let's take an example. Let's say that there's a black kid, a middle school. He lives in a food desert in a neighborhood with an underfunded public school who doesn't provide any extracurriculars, SAT prep, or after school help, such as tutoring for their classes. How are even the best students that are put into that environment, into that situation, expected to get into top universities. They don't have the same resources. They don't have the same environment that other students do. And that's partially because of the historical discrimination against Black people. And that's what affirmative action is meant to take on. Um, Obviously, there's historical discrimination, but then there's also present-day discrimination. And so even those kids in the underfunded public schools when they go get a job in whatever the city city they live in, um, they might have some discrimination in that way as well because their manager might not understand how how their situation currently, and so that will make them less likely to get that job. And again, that's that many less activities that they can put on their activity list to get into a college. Affirmative action was put in place in order to start breaking the cycle of racism because then those kids get more opportunities and they are able to get better jobs. And they're able to make actual change in order to make sure that 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 next generation of kids like them don't also have to go through the same thing. Um, And 
That also makes diversity more commonplace in those jobs. And even though it doesn't help everyone, it's not meant to help everyone. It's meant to help those who need it. And that's those kids who are often, unfortunately, Black. And so that's why we need affirmative action. Thank you. Great. Haven, whenever you're ready, go ahead with your first negative rebuttal. Hope for underrepresented minorities and communities is necessary for a better society, but not everything works. Colleges need their student support with affirmative action, but not everyone agrees with it. That causes a split within the college student body with who wants affirmative action and who doesn't. It becomes like an argument about who benefits more from affirmative action and who's put at a disadvantage. That um, kind of flips the script of the goal of affirmative action. Increasing things like financial aid is best for people who want the same experience as others, be, but can't because of issues like money. There are many things that we should keep. There are things that we should keep in order to improve um, the goal of affirmative action, but there are also things that we shouldn't keep at all because a compromise or coming in or uh, making a compromise in the middle is the best for support overall. You need all colleges need student support when operating and conducting classes, but without the support they possess, then it becomes more of an argument instead of it becomes more of an argument instead of like an opinion. And so we should only keep some aspects of affirmative action, but we shouldn't keep it as a whole so that we could actually give everyone an equal opportunity for education and thus making everyone, and thus making the society better and giving everyone uh, a better chance. Thank you. Outstanding. Well done. You guys did great. So uh, my question, I'm just kind of curious about something. Since this was, as Noemi said in her first speech, this was a Supreme Court case. I mean, it's a long history of Supreme Court cases, right? But there's one that was just argued. Uh, and it's, you know, we're expecting a decision on that within a month or two, maybe. Um, I'm curious, did either of you guys listen to or read any of the oral arguments from the Supreme Court where they were doing the, you know, two hours of debating on the topic? I wouldn't have done it when I was your when I was your age. I do this for fun now, and it's my job. But I'm curious if you did. Uh, Noemi, did you uh, watch any of the Supreme Court oral arguments? I read the New York Times like the morning overview of it, mm -hmm. um, but I did not have the patience to watch them. No, <laughs> it is long. It takes a special something. Haven, did you happen to follow any of the Supreme Court hearings on this particular topic? Uh. Yeah, I'm the same. I didn't, I didn't like watch it, but I did read some of the feedback that was given, or like the opinions that was stated in the actual debate itself when I was conducting research. Well, uh, as someone who listened to all of it, I'll tell you, it's long. <laughs> it's very long. Well, you guys did fantastic. That's great. I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys do this live in New York uh, at the event in a couple of weeks. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Noemi, thanks so much. Great job. Haven, thanks so much. Great job. Uh, Diane, did you have any final comments for uh, the students? Uh, just to say you guys were absolutely fantastic. What a thoughtful, intelligent debate. And rest assured, I could not have done anything. I don't know if I can do that now. I don't think I certainly could not have done that when I was in high school. So congratulations. I'm really looking forward to the evening in New York. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. 
Well, uh, Noemi and Haven and to all of your teachers and your parents and the facilitators who made all of this possible. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight, Diane. I'm Andrew Tallman. We'll see you next time on The Debate. <laughs>